Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 8 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, January 26th, 2022. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. When the Sitka Assembly met last night, it approved funding for this summer's anticipated cruise boom expenses. Around 480,000 cruise passengers are expected to travel to Sitka this summer. The $1.1 million budget approved includes everything from 11 seasonal staff positions to temporary bathrooms and bear-proof trash cans, better Wi-Fi at the Sitka Public Library, and more emergency vehicles. One thing missing from the budget is Lincoln Street. The Assembly hasn't decided whether to close Lincoln Street on big cruise ship days or make it a one-way street all summer. Last night, city staff presented the Assembly with the budget minus the Lincoln Street price tag. The Assembly approved the budget on first reading 6-1, to one, with Mayor Stephen Eisenweiss opposed. We'll have more coverage of the Sitka Assembly meeting on Raven News tonight at 518. Angoon's water supply has been restored, but the city's water problems are far from over. On January 9th, Mary, Mayor Maxine Thompson notified the Alaska Emergency Operations Desk that a combination of severe winter weather and low water reserves had left parts of Angoon with little or no water. On January 12th, the State Department of Environmental Conservation, Search, and the Alaska Native Tribal Health Consortium sent maintenance staff to Angoon to assess possible damage and to troubleshoot issues at the water facility. The team was unable to return the plant to peak production, but was able to restore water pressure and repair damaged equipment. Thompson says the city will continue conservation efforts while they wait for tank reservoirs to fill, and the boil water notice remains in effect until DEC testing is complete. Although the city hopes to have their water facility working to its full potential soon, the crisis has been a wake-up call. Mayo Thompson says the city needs to think long-range and look to other water sources, such as nearby Hood Mountain. Alaska's Board of Fisheries is considering moving its southeast meeting back to Ketchikan and is asking the public to weigh in. The board plans to discuss more than 150 proposed changes to southeast Alaska fin fish and shellfish regulations at the meeting, which was originally slated to be held in Ketchikan at the beginning of the month, but was postponed due to a rise in COVID-19 cases in the region. The meeting was then moved to Anchorage and pushed back two months to early March. That prompted additional criticism from fishermen and subsistence harvesters. But now the Board of Fish says it's mulling a do-over for the meeting's location. In a statement released on Monday, Board of Fish Executive Director Glenn Haight wrote that Ketchikan Representative Dan Ortez, who represents southern southeast Alaska, worked with the city of Ketchikan to make the Ted Ferry Civic Center available in March. One hitch in the new plan? is that the center is only available for 11 days, and the meeting was scheduled for 13 days, so some agenda and items would be deferred until the board's next statewide meeting. The Board of Fish is asking for public comment on whether to hold the meeting in Ketchikan. The deadline to submit comments is today. You can find the board's email address and fax number on our website, kcaw.org. Petersburg's elementary school was contemplating closing four classrooms this spring when long-term substitute teachers couldn't be found. As of Monday, however, the positions were filled and school should proceed as usual. But as KFSK's Angela Denning reports, the shortage of substitute teachers is an ongoing problem made worse by the pandemic. 
the classroom closures would have come in February and March and would have affected both kindergarten classes, a first grade classroom, and a second grade classroom. Most were for a few days, but one was over a week. The teachers had requested leave, but no substitutes could be found. That's been an ongoing issue district-wide. With eight positions open, there aren't many subs to choose from. It's a lean pool, so it's really a problem. Superintendent Erica Klupainter says the sub shortage stems from a lot of reasons. She says there is a shortage of workers locally, statewide, and nationally. And she says the COVID pandemic is also a factor. We have some people who have said, you know, I will not come in and sub if we don't have, you know, 100 percent masking or I'm reluctant to come in because even with masking, the Omicron variant is so transmissible. I don't want to end up getting it even though I'm vaccinated. I don't want to miss a trip, you know, which we understand. I mean, I, I get it. Clue Painter was speaking on the monthly radio show Campus Connection. She says even with the shortage, Petersburg is more fortunate than some other districts. We do have a really good um, retired teacher sub pool, and they've been amazing. But that sub pool is already being tapped for some maternity leave coming up. Part of the solution for the district has been going public with the leave days after asking staff if it was okay. The district has announced the dates on the radio and elsewhere, looking for coverage for certain classrooms. Being a substitute teacher typically requires a bachelor's degree, especially in the higher grade levels. The position has different rates of pay, including $140 a day for those with a teaching certificate and $100 a day for others. Clue Painter says the school district is willing to train people. Even just come up and do some shadowing, check us out, come talk to us about it. If you've ever even thought about it, don't don't just shut the door. We, If people are out there and interested or they've had other sorts of training and job experience that might help them be suitable for something like this, we are willing to have those conversations with people. School board president Sarah Holmgrain says there are some perks to the job because the subs are not required to do all that teachers do, like staff meetings, grading papers, and writing lesson plans. She says it also allows someone to test the waters. To me, in some ways, a toe dip into the school district. You know, we do have openings, so is it something that mm-hmm. I might want to might work for the district? We'll maybe start out as a sub and see if you like the culture and the environment. If there is a classroom closure in the future at the elementary, the school plans to have online learning available for students during the closure. In Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. Fairbanks climate researchers recently teamed up with Juno composers to turn data into music. It's a bid to bring climate research to a new audience. Claire Strempel reports for KTOO. This is Juno composer and middle school teacher Michael Busey's first reaction to the data he had to turn into song. Symbols that... uh... They, they look like something, anyways, complicated mathematical symbols. It's a pretty normal reaction to the codes used in climate modeling. Specifically, Busey was looking at data sets showing warming temperatures in the Bering Sea. And it's why he and fellow composers attempt to translate the ideas encoded in the numbers into the more approachable medium of music. And to be, to be honest, uh, uh, Climate change is is actually been just too overwhelming for me to address. It's one of those things that, and I think we all somewhat put our heads in the sand, just 
for survival's sake. Busey says his composition is an effort to aid what he considers some of the most important work in the world. He called it music with a purpose. But to get there, he had to call Professor Vladimir Alexeev at the International Arctic Research Center in Fairbanks for a layman's description of what was going on. The warm water uh, in Bering Sea makes air move differently. Alexeev has studied climate for 30 years, and he's modeled recent warm temperatures in the Bering Sea and their effect on the rest of the world. It's like a rock in the middle of the river. It sends ripples up and downstream. His model shows that unusually warm water in the Bering Sea pushed a column of warm air into the jet stream. That sent warm air up north into places like Fairbanks and cold air down south, where it doesn't belong. Alexeev called it a disaster. So I suggested, Mike, that we should probably use some dissonant sounds and the music, uh, Stravinsky kind of style, would probably be a perfect way to describe it. And I think he listened. Michael Busey wrote Babel 2.0, which was performed in Juneau last month. And so I, I interpreted musically things like, for instance, the water and warming um, as rising uh, melodic uh, uh, figures. So using very low instruments like a contrabassoon and an upright bass, playing long pieces to kind of represent the ocean, uh, warm currents, and then having them rise in pitch. Uh, I also used flutes and clarinets and piccolo to represent the uh, uh, the upper atmosphere and uh, you know kind of the idea of wispy winds you know moving upward and, and again having pitch and having melodic lines move upward. There's pieces in it where the the trumpets or the horn play out a, a, a motif. It's a, a warning signal. Uh, da, 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 something that a uh, you know yeah a, a sense of alarm. The strings are playing a repetitive uh, a pizzicato where they pluck the strings, uh, give the sense of, of time running out, time moving more insistently. Uh. The image that I wanted to give was, you know, a sense of urgency. Um, there's more going on all at once. They're, they're influencing each other more. Babel 2.0 is the first in what will be a series of about six pieces of music. The goal is to hold concerts in Juno and Fairbanks. But pandemic concerns have delayed the project. In Juno, I'm Claire Strumpel. And that's all for Raven News for this hour. You can listen to or read our stories again on our website at kcaw.